Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Today is Monday, April 26th, and we continue in the resurrection hope of Easter as we slowly study His Word and uncover the riches of our true hope, Christ Jesus, who is your light and your salvation. And this light shines on us today from 1 Kings chapter 4. We just saw how Solomon prayed for wisdom, received it, and now we see how it manifests throughout the kingdom. Lots of names that are very hard to pronounce, so forgive me now as you hear me try to pronounce all of these, but also as we hear these words, we see lots of grace and lots of love from our Lord. Gifts, the gifts are ready this morning, ready for you. Thank you for tuning us in on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Thank you to our friends from Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened by God's Word, we have with us Pastor Peter Schmidt, a beautiful Savior in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Pastor Schmidt, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Hey, thank you, Pastor Finner, and my pleasure to be with you. And Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah. So, uh, bless, uh, you took my took my uh, um, you took my moment there for a little bit. Have blessed Easter to you, and tell me a little bit about what's happening for you and the saints at Beautiful Savior. Well, just celebrating Good Shepherd Sunday and rejoicing in as we think about leading me beside the still waters and the green pastures and everything. Probably the same up in Minnesota for friends around the world, at least in Northern Hemisphere, the beauty of spring and everything just popping out. And even those of us who might, you know, have some allergy issues and that, it is sure beautiful to see God's wondrous creation. And at Beautiful Savior, we're celebrating our, our beautiful Savior, rejoicing that numbers are going the right direction with the pandemic and continuing to pray for the Lord's protection and is not only wall of protection, but really for all of us, I think just patience as we continue with all of this. And I think a lot of us just kind of done with it and tired, but we also know a lot of people still affected by it. So we mm -hmm. continue to pray for the Lord's again, safety, protection, and just open our eyes to see the beauty and wonder of his creation. Just like we pray that the spirit would open our eyes to see the wonders in his word today. And you know, right now we're we're dealing with that as well. You know, there's certain parts of of the state, probably the whole country, where there's some spikes here and there, and and we're tired. I mean, I, I'm tired. And um, but like you said, this is the time of year in, in northern part of the United States that we are able to enjoy that the snow is gone. It might come back, but it's not going to stay for a few months at a time, which is nice. So we um, for me, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, for me, I coach track. And so we just start, you know, we had middle of track season and now you're at the mercy of the weather to have a good track meet or track practice, but still I prefer that to being stuck inside. So yes, it is. Everything is growing. Um, and get this the other day I drive up the church and uh, there was a fox literally right at our front door of church. And this fox came out of, you know, I remember this fox from last year when COVID hit. And so I need to come up with a name for this fox because that thing is not scared of me, which makes me kind of fearful of wow. it. But anyways, so this is the new creation. This is the wilderness in front of us, God's creation and, and everything else in between. A lot, anything else before we begin, Pastor? Well, just again, thanks for having me. Greatly appreciate it. And thank you for all the work that you and everyone else at KFUO does. And continuing to spread the good news of our Lord Jesus worldwide. 
Well, thanks be to God and to him be all the glory. Pastor Schmidt, as we begin to search the scriptures, can you begin our time and ask the Lord's blessing in prayer? I'd love to. Thank you so much. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the beautiful day. Wherever we are, the weather can be different, might be warmer, might be colder, cloudy, sunny, whatever it is, but it's still the day you've made. So we ask that by your spirit, you help us to truly rejoice and be glad in it, even in the midst of challenging circumstances. Some of us might be going through a lot of very devastating things. And in the midst of that, you would remind us that just as you gave Solomon that amazing wisdom, so you would give us your spirit that through him we might have your wisdom and guidance to be able to follow you through life's path knowing full well that if you'd stretch out your arms for us on the cross, your arms are the best place for us to be. So as Luther says, we commend ourselves into your care, body, souls, all things. But especially now, we commend ourselves into your care as we get into your word. Thank you for that bread of life. And we ask now that as, again, we hear about a lot of different words people will only see mentioned once in the scriptures and sometimes would just easily want to breeze through things, that you would help us to find some unexpected treasures, some unexpected blessings and gifts. So open up our ears to hear, our hearts to receive. Pastor and I, as we're studying and sharing what we've learned from the Word, too, that we can clearly uh, proclaim that so everyone who's listening here can be fed as well. Bless us, Lord, with your presence through your Spirit. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. As we come to today's text, um, the first three chapters are really one of the more fascinating parts of David and onto Solomon, Old Testament, Old Testament patriarchs. There's a lot of history there and introductory thoughts. Any, any, anything you want to highlight as we look at chapter four? Well, I, I think the the beauty of the Holy Scriptures again in general is, and really kind of a, a proof of their veracity, is that God doesn't whitewash anything. So you see kind of the political intrigue that's going on as David kind of hands over power to Solomon and how this all works. And, and then again, the wonder of, of that gift of wisdom and that, that kind of unique story there about uh, the baby with the uh, mom and the one who said she was the mom and that. But again, as we look at, at that world hundreds of years ago, we can see a lot of similarities to to our world and and how sometimes things work when people hand over power or, or want power. But then, you know, that overriding call of trust in the Lord, come to him, ask him for that wisdom and guidance, which I think as we read through all of this and then in our congregations, as we hear pastors pray for guidance and wisdom for our president, Congress, judges, state and local officials, you know, sometimes our particular political views get in the way and we might think about a particular person that's in power that we really didn't want there and get all frustrated. But man, praying for these people that the Lord would continue to give that that wisdom that he, he gave Solomon to and that they would seek it. Um, what a great prayer. And we see how the Lord works that out in Solomon in, in uh, really setting up some good order that we'll hear about today. Boy, if we could have that in our day and age too, what a blessing that would be. And I think this is just came to mind. As you look at the list, that this, this is a list of all of the leaders that Solomon had over all of Israel. And this can be a calling of sorts too to prayer. 
Now, it doesn't say this in, this in the text, so don't. I'm not trying to add to the text. But it is something that for us, our list to pray for is your local representatives, your U.S. senators, your, your congressmen, your, your, uh, your governor, uh, our, the U.S. senators, the, the, the House, the Senate, all these people, that there is a list of all those we've elected to be in those positions. And although, like you said, we're frustrated, it also, man, I mean, we just go online and print off the list of those who have been elected and make that a major part of your prayer list. I mean, that's what I'm hearing these words and these names that we're going through today. And and to me, this is kind of a call to pray, to pray oh. for those who are elected and as our Lord continues to lead us as his people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So I have um, practiced uh, pronunciation quite a bit. Uh, one of the, I, I would say, just to be honest, sometimes my struggle is, okay, this is how I would say it. And then somebody who's very proficient at Hebrew says, no, you're wrong. And then somebody who's grown up in the church says, no, it's this. And then I've found that the more I've tried to please everybody, I please nobody. So I'm going to ask for everybody's patience this morning as I go through these names. But once again, it is the word of God. So we open up our Bibles, we hear God's word, and reminder to our listeners, we are reading from the English Standard Version of the Holy Scriptures from 1 Kings chapter Four, and we will read. We will read the first six verses. King Solomon was king over all Israel, and these were his high officials: Azariah, the son of Zadok, was the priest; Elahoreph and Ahiah, the sons of Sisha, were secretaries; Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahiliud, was recorder; Benaiah, the son of the son of Jehoiada, and the commander of the army. Zadok and Abiathar were priests. Azariah, the son of Nathan, was over the officers. Zabad, the son of Nathan, was priest and king's friend. Ahishar was in charge of the palace. And Adariam, the son of Abda, was in charge of the forced labor. So we get the, all the high officials. We know right away that King Solomon was king. There's not much question about that, but yet it's a good reminder. You know, you, they didn't say, not my king um, in this situation. <laughs> we knew that he was king, and these were all of his high officials. Any reflections on that? those first six verses? Now, first of all, I'd say outstanding job of, of pronunciation <laughs> there. Trying. My rule good. of thumb in, in Bible studies, and that is just, just sound confident because who's going to complain? But... Uh, <laughs> So as I look at, you know, just a couple of things, again, the order, and you see, again, the role of, of priests and that it'd be very easy. You know, you see the name Nathan, which is, okay, is that Nathan, that prophet that confronted David? Is that Nathan's, is that David's son, Nathan? Probably that one. Uh, and then you mm -hmm. have this whole idea of um, the idea of being um, a friend. Okay. So we, we heard that. Uh, about uh, Zabad, the son of Nathan, was priest and king's friend. It kind of, the first time I read mm. that, it triggered my mind going to the New Testament with uh, Pontius Pilate. And when he was doing the trial with Jesus, wanted to let Jesus go. Well, if you don't, if you let him go, you're no friend of Caesar's. And the whole idea of being a friend of Caesar, being kind of in this like inner circle, if you will, or people who have, you know, give their support. So this idea here too, we have Solomon with this entourage, this inner circle, people that he set up 
to have positions of authority, which shows his great wisdom that he's not trying to handle everything on his own. Because when we try to do that, that's a disaster. And Mm -hmm. God gives people different gifts and abilities. But then just the whole idea of having people there, they might not have a huge official title. They might not be a cabinet position, if you will. But still, they're there. uh, King's friend, king's associate, king's kind of maybe trusted advisor, confidant, whatever it would be. But these are people that um, also have Solomon's ear, which is um, an important thing, and Solomon has their ear. So we have a a group of people who are going to be influential in their own way. And and for us, I think that reminds us, well, some of us might complain, whine a lot about, you know, the politicians and what they're all like or not like. Boy, the importance of, of maybe having good Christian people uh, in politics and being able to put up with all that goes with it, but to bring the the ethics, the mor- moral base that uh, their Christian faith would would give them, an important thing. So, uh, yeah. And I think throughout the Bible, for example, when when Moses's father-in-law came and saw how much work he was doing to judge, you know, the people, the Israelites. That he came in and said, no, 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 no. Listen, you need to get some other people involved here. You know, um, in the same way, you go to Acts, Acts six when they, when they, when they're like, you know, we're just we're spending so much time serving the food, we have no time for uh, the word and prayer, and so they uplift, you know, the the seven, the seven leaders with them. And and this is important too. Here, as you look at this, there is a lot of wisdom, like you said. Solomon didn't go in there and say, well, I'm just going to do it all on my own because that clearly would not work. But he has other people that he trusts that he will put in, and and we and they and you pray because you know as well as I do that if we were to pick out our ten people he wanted to work out with us, not all ten are going to work out because we live in a broken world and and how that looks. But you do lay it out to say this is this is what we need to do and let's move forward as as God's people. And I suppose for you, I mean, you have a you're a pastor of a church school, so you have a little bit of that of okay, how can we all work together? for the good of the church. Any thoughts on that? Oh, yeah. Team ministry in general is difficult because exactly what you were talking about, where the evil one would try to get in and sin is, you know, a three-letter word, S-I-N, with a big fat capital I in the middle. So it's very <laughs> easy to always want to, you know, be the center of attention and everything has to be my way. I'm very, very blessed. We have we have remarkable uh staff consistency and we're blessed with a just a wonderful principal uh in jenny wolf and all of our teachers everyone being on on the same page and so usually the evil one will try to you know mess things up some other ways and that but but team ministry in general i remember when i was uh, installed at beautiful savior after coming from my first church zion lutheran in ridgeville corners ohio wonderful hmm. people there as well but uh, I remember when I was installed, my brother Richard, who's actually a pastor outside of San Diego, he mm-hmm. preached for that service. And he mentioned, he said, you know, one of the things that the evil one's going to try to do is to try to kind of put uh, a congregation in different camps. Oh, I follow this pastor, or I follow that pastor, or I follow the principal, or I follow this teacher, or whatever it would be. So I think where we're going to see Solomon's wisdom here, and maybe in the first couple of chapters too, 
where David kind of hands over the reins and then how, how uh, Solomon kind of um, makes it clear that he's in charge, <laughs> so to right. speak. Right. There, there is this wisdom of kind of keeping everyone's um, ego in check by giving them very big responsibilities, but, but trusting them. And I guess we'll see that with, with the next, the next list too. I know there's a, there's a book on Abraham Lincoln called team of rivals, which talks about how he tried to construct a cabinet of people that all really kind of wanted his position, but then he, he tried to put them together uh, to work for the common good. In some cases it worked, some cases it didn't. Right. Right. Yeah. And that, and that's very helpful as we look at these next verses. Um, Once again, uh, be patient as we go through the 12 officers over all of Israel. Starting in verse 7. Solomon had 12 officers over all Israel who provided food for the king and his household. Each man had to make provision for one month of the year. These were their names. Ben Hewer from the, in the hill country of Ephraim. Ben, ben Decker in Mekaz. Shalbim, Beth Shemesh. And Elambeth Hanan, Ben Hesed in Arubath, to him belongs Succoth and the land of Hefer, Ben Abinadab and and all Naphdath Dor. He had Tapath the, the daughter of Solomon as his wife, Bana the son of Ahiliud, in Atakana, Megiddo, and all Beth Shem that is beside Zarethan, below Jezreel. And from Beth Shane to Abdel Maholala, so far as from the other side of Jokmim. Ben Geber in Ramath Gilead. He had the villages of Jer and son of Manasseh, which are in Gilead, and he had the region of Argob, which is in Bashan, sixty great cities with walls and bronze bars. Ahinadab, the son of Edo, in Mahananim. Ahimamaz in Naphtali. He had been taken in Basemoth the daughter of Solomon as his wife, Bena the son of Hushai, and in Asher and Baloth, Jehoshaphat, the son of Parayu, in Isaacar, Shimei, and the son of Elah, in Benjamin, Geber, the son of Uri, in the land of Gilead, in the country of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and of Og, king of Bashan. And there was one governor who was over the land. Ooh, got it. Any reflections on those verses, Pastor? Yeah, just step back and take a <laughs> sip of water there, Pastor Finnern, because that's we got it. Uh, yeah, that's huge. It's a mouthful. <laughs> hey, again, you know, you see, you you can picture without even seeing a map. This is a huge territory, and mm. Solomon now is is over a lot. It's kind of interesting when you start out with a Ben Hur and all all the Bens. Um, there are there are a few commentators. Uh, analysts of the manuscripts who think that what happened here, because Ben meaning son of so-and-so, that there mm. was like this column of all the, all the names and somehow the outer part of the column with the, you know, so-and-so Ben Hur or whatever got cut off. <laughs> and so we have just the, just the second last name, if you will, there. But however it is, you know, the Holy Spirit obviously said, we want these, these names out there, whether it be to see how big the territory was, whether it would just be that maybe, you know, so these names are out there so people can look back at their heritage and say, yeah, I was related to so-and-so and that person was, 
you know, an influential leader, whatever it would be. Again, you see the organization and you see that uh, this is a this is a big thing. This is not a small kingdom, but at this point, this is truly a world power uh, under Solomon. And it does highlight, because we've talked about this um, and we went through First Kings, first chapter, is the emphasis on how um, that why Israel? Like, why does God choose Israel and not surrounding countries? And why these people versus others? And we don't fully know why God chose who he chose. We don't know why God chose, chooses us. Um, but it is interesting because it was a world power. It was the the, the breath of this uh, the, these people and everything were very, very strong. But they weren't the only show in town. It wasn't like everyone else was just cowering and worried about Israel. There, there was others. There were other powers around. Um, but for whatever reason, he chose these people and he knew them by name. I was reading something about that on how these names just show once again how when he calls us, he knows us by name. He knows who you are ultimately as a child of God, which I thought was an interesting take on on what we see here as well. Any oh, other yeah. thoughts before we move on? Well, I think that's a great a great point. It's kind of like the disciples where you know, uh, a good chunk of the disciples, we see their name listed and that's it. You know, right. we have tradition right. as far as what they did or or didn't do, how they possibly were martyred for the faith. But in the gospel accounts, you really don't hear too much about most of them, but their names are there and reminding us. And I guess for us too, yeah, we can always go back to, to our baptisms and, you know, that that simple thing, how is this child or to be named or, okay, great, here's the name. But then all of a sudden in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and a whole new connection, you know, being mm-hmm. in the Lord's service here to being his child. So, yeah, what a great point about uh, we just don't have, uh, you know, a bunch of people, but nope, I know you by name. Right. Yeah, very good. So let's move on. We have about three minutes left, and I want to get through these first Two verses in this new paragraph on Solomon's wealth and wisdom. So verses 20 and 21. Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. Solomon ruled over all the kingdom from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. So what's happening in Judah and Israel during this time? Well, okay, granted, my my thought pattern's a little warped because one of the uh, things I have the privilege of doing besides teaching religion to our 7th and 8th graders is is U.S. history right after that. And mm. so we just finished the, uh, the Roaring Twenties and how everything is just in the United States up until the crash, obviously, in 29. Oh, man, everything's going so well, the wealth is just continuing to increase. And here you see, like, I mean, to me, I just paid my taxes. It's not like I was really thrilled about doing it. But you don't see people complaining here about bringing the tribute to Solomon and all that. Everything is like, oh, this is great. We have a lot of material wealth. Everything is wonderful. This is just the way it should be. So we'll have to wait for the crash and see when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> and it does come. Um, it does come. But there were, it, it reminds me of the great Gatsby. I mean, you just want to, you watch that movie and you think, okay, yeah, things were just, as well, as we say, fat and happy. Um, mm-hmm. They ate and drank and were happy. 
And, and it was a big kingdom, as it says. They brought praises to Solomon all the days of his life. And you think about how, um, I don't know if there's an emphasis on that or not, but it does say they gave praise to Solomon all the day of his, days of his life as opposed to the Lord God, which, I mean, think about it in our lives. When things are going well, we usually give thanks to ourselves or mm-hmm. give thanks to president or somebody else instead of giving thanks to God. Any thoughts on that? Well, you know, that's going to be interesting to see. You remember in the Acts of the Apostles where the one King Herod, everyone's mm-hmm. praising him, and this is one who is like a god, and immediately God strikes him down because he was taking that honor uh, to himself, right. and then that great descriptive verse that worms ate him up and things like that. But uh, <laughs> here, when we, we know about Solomon's downfall, and you'll be getting to that in a few weeks and that, but... Um, boy, here we see a temptation starting, don't we? With the possibility of look at, look at how great everything is. Maybe like Jesus parable about the, the rich farmer who has bumper crops and what do I do? Oh, I'll build bigger barns, store it all up and take life easy. It's going to be great. And then God says, you fool. And tonight it's taken away. Dr. Meyer in his commentary talks about how the first and second Kings are historical books that give us a theology. Mm-hmm. And I think that really relates to this, where he's simply just telling us the history here. He's just telling us what it is, but it makes us once again realize how quickly we can get a new God, just add a God to our list, you know, um, break a first commandment, no problems. And the dangers of prosperity, um, whatever we would define that to be, where we start looking, we start making God into our our own image as opposed to we are ones made in God's image. But right now, we need to take our break. We are studying 1 Kings chapter 4 with Pastor Peter Schmidt, and we'll be right back. This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia, reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back. We are studying 1 Kings chapter 4 with Pastor Peter Schmidt of Beautiful Savior Lutheran Church in Waukesha, Wisconsin. You know what, Pastor, I was thinking about this when you were introducing yourself, and I didn't ask it the first time. You hear the word Waukesha, and you're like, okay, where is that? Tell us where that is in in the state of Wisconsin. All right, so Waukesha is just about due west of the metropolis of Milwaukee. And so if you follow I-94, west toward Madison or state capital. Waukesha is just a little west of Milwaukee and the way everything is just kind of spread out. When I was growing up, I grew up in Milwaukee and there were, you know, plenty of farm fields and everything between Milwaukee and Waukesha, but uh, not so much anymore. Now it's all pretty well connected by little strip malls and various office buildings and that. But Waukesha itself is a a small city of about 70,000 or so very nice, tight-knit community. 
And so we're very blessed to have a, have a congregation and a school as a part of that here in Waukesha. I remember I used to live in Waukesha County, uh, just west of you at Waukesha and North Prairie. And one of the comments that someone made when I first moved there was, it says Waukesha, but it's really Rockasha, Wisconsin. <laughs> and so just saying, when you start digging in that ground, you better be ready to remove a lot of rocks. Uh, you thought- I'll tell you, we just, uh, <laughs> we just replaced this past week in a split rail fence in our backyard, put a new one in and had to put in some new post holes. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I'm a little sore from using that auger yet. So, <laughs> Very good. Well, as we move on in these texts, we are, uh, like, we've had a lot of names, a lot of information. People are, are ate, drank, and were happy. Any last reflections on the first 21 verses, Pastor? You know, I, I think what that point you made with Dr. Meyer and his commentary about we have, we have a theology here. It's important when we, we study the scriptures. We have the most blessed perspective of the New Testament. And so we know uh, what Jesus came to do, the fulfillment of the promise. We know his teachings about things. We have the epistles, all of that. And so we can look back at some things and say, oh, man, I can say how history has repeated itself in a variety of ways here. And that whole last point you made before the break about wealth and about how that can easily become a god. I mean, you think in in Jesus' day about the the rich young ruler who mm. came to Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you know the commandments, and Jesus, you know, lists really the second table of the law. Uh, you know, loving your neighbor as yourself. Well, I've done all these since I was young. Okay, great. You lack one thing: sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, follow me. And the guy wouldn't do it. Hmm. And Jesus then talks to his disciples about how hard it's going to be for the rich to inherit the kingdom. And they're incredulous because their thought pattern was almost like our day and age with this prosperity gospel nonsense that, boy, you know, God wants you to be wealthy. And if you're wealthy, that shows that you're blessed by him. Um, It is very easy for that wealth to become your God for a comfortable life as you describe it, to become your God and to find utopia. That's your heaven, if you will. I mean, one of the dangers I think we we currently worldwide are going through with a pandemic is this, um, in my opinion, unrealistic expectation that somehow we're going to be virus free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, how is that ever going to happen, this side of heaven? Mm-hmm. But yet, you know, we look for that and we want that. And and don't get me wrong, we want to be able to do whatever we can to have a healthy, clean environment, obviously. But if it's not a virus, there's going to be something else which reminds us we're in a fallen world. And and so putting our, our trust and our hope and our joy in stuff, um, you know, it might be really nice for a while, prodigal son thought so for a while. And then the famine came and the money dried up and he ended up feeding pigs and they were doing better than he was. <laughs> and and we do have the blessing not only of the New Testament, but we are able to see Solomon's life, like you said, his downfall. But also we hear him say words such as, vanity, vanity, everything is vanity without the Lord. 
oh, yeah. and his wisdom literature. And so that gives us even a greater understanding that Paul, uh, not Paul, excuse me, I always want to go back to the epistles. Solomon is is able to go through this journey, w- w- obviously led and, and, and carried by the Lord, that we all will go on as well. We realize new things every day, that this Holy Spirit gives us wisdom as we move forward in our life. And we pray that we're able to live this holy life. And as the Holy Spirit guides us by his word and sacraments, we are able to better understand his grace and the way that we should live in his kingdom. So let's move on here to 22 through 28, as it it makes a, this is some unique moves in this text. And this is another unique move here. So we hear these words and we'll, we'll talk about it. 22 through 28. Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal, 10 fat oxen and 20 pasture fed cattle, 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks and fattened fowl. For he had a dominion over all the regions west of the Euphrates, from Tipsha to Gaza, over the kings west of the Euphrates. And he had peace on all sides around him, and Judah and Israel lived in safety. From Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, all the days of Solomon. Solomon also had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. And those officers supplied provisions for King Solomon and for all who came to King Solomon's table, each one in his month, that they let nothing be lacking. Barley also and straw for the horses and swift steeds they brought to the place where it was required, each according to his duty. So there's a lot of provisions here, a lot of food, a lot of people, a lot of stuff. What's a, what is the author telling us? Well, first of all, we, we should probably note the one textual thing there where it talks about 40,000 and there's going to be a note in most of your Bibles that will say mm-hmm. some manuscripts have 4,000. And, you know, either way, 40,000, 4,000 seems like a, a great divergence, but even with 4,000, that's a huge amount uh, that we have here. So again, this picture of, of extreme wealth, almost like a in the United States history where you talk about like the Gilded Age and you have a few people like the Rockefellers and and uh, others who are just extreme wealth, you know, and able to put up these huge palatial estates and everything. Um, again, we have this picture here and we see that word peace. We have, you know, all of Israel, Judah in peace. Everything's wonderful and people are bringing in the tributes, everyone happy under his vine and fig tree and that. So again, a great way of saying everything is is wonderful. But again, it, it, for me personally, I think as, again, the writer puts the history down absolutely positively correct. We have that perspective of being able to look at it and say, you know, but we know what's going to happen here. The hammer is going to drop somewhere along the line. Because what what you don't see in all of this is, let's have a celebratory day to the Lord, a day of national Thanksgiving, whatever it is. Mm. You, do, you don't see that here. It doesn't mean it wasn't happening, but you, you see again how easy it is to just get so centered in on the stuff and just listing all the stuff. And this shows us that we're a great nation because of all the, all the stuff. And indeed it was, but uh, you know, as we'll, we'll go on here, uh, boy, the whole idea of you can understand after Solomon died, 
and his son takes over, why the Northern Kingdom was kind of like, your dad made life really hard on us. How about if you lighten Mm. up? Because this is, this is a lot of taxation here. That's a good point. I didn't think about it in that way that, yeah, there was a, there was, there were people who had to work very hard to make sure this happened. (laughs) And they were not always getting um, the best of everything that is listed in this place. Uh, it, It reminds me a lot of the first chapter of Job, where they go through all the listing of what he owned. And I'm not, you know, we can't we can't decipher exactly what the author is is writing, why they're writing this the way they're writing this, but de- it almost feels like okay, we're gonna write all this out just to show you that there will be a demise, as it was with Job as well. Different scenario. I mean, we it's a whole different kind of narrative into a, a totally different side story, but it does give you a little bit like, uh oh, what's gonna happen next? Any, well, uh, when, any uh, thoughts? Good. Yeah, we we know what's going to happen next because we think about, you know, Samuel said this is what's going to happen. So back in First Samuel eight, I believe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is is when the people come to him. We want to have a king, and Samuel's like, "What do you mean you want a king? Well, we want to be like everyone else." And he was like, "You know, basically, the Lord's your king. Why do you?" And uh, the Lord even says later, "It's not you they're upset with. They're really." upset with me or they're talking against me. But Samuel lays out, this is what's going to happen. I mean, he is going to exact taxes on you. He's going to take your kids that are going to go into the army, that are going to serve you, et cetera, et cetera. And yet, even though he lays it all out, oh, we still want a king. We want to be like everyone else. And so in a sense, okay, we're going to be like everyone else as far as what everyone else considers to be greatness, the science of greatness. But what everyone else considers a sign of greatness might not necessarily be what the Lord says it is if you don't give credit where credit is due and give thanks and praise and honor and glory to the Lord who has blessed you with it and, and you know enjoy it while you have it, make the best use of it um, while you have it. You remember when um, that really weird parable of Jesus that... Um, about the shrewd manager, the guy who was mm. cheating his master, and mm. then in uh, in Luke here, and, and then when the master says, oh, no, you have to give accounts, the guy quickly has all the creditors come and, like, cuts their bill. And his right. master, who never hires him back, it doesn't say he hires him back, he just compliments him, saying, you're really shrewd here because you were using this wealth, basically, or you were using your position to make sure you are taken care of. Yeah. Uh, when you get canned. And so then Jesus talks about how the people of the world are much better at using wealth, the wealth of the world, um, than the children of the light. Well, what exactly does he mean by that? Well, if you think about the context of that, um, before that, we have the lost and found chapter, and we have the prodigal son then in Luke 15 being being the last parable why do you think the older son was really ticked off at dad? Because he blew his money and he kept blowing his money on a kid who was blowing his money. Why would mm. you do that? What did the Pharisees love? Money. And yet, what do we constantly hear Jesus talking about? Um, the importance of taking care of the poor, compassion, using it wisely, using it, if you will, for the growth of, of the kingdom. And, uh, 
here we're seeing this picture of wealth. Now, what's it going to be used for? Is it going to be used, mm. you know, for eating, drinking, you know, take life, just be merry? Or again, are we going to give credit, honor to our Lord and let him continue to be the Lord instead of the wealth? So to me, it's kind of interesting as you read through that, you kind of know what's going to happen. And it's like you're waiting for it. Okay, what's going to happen? And how is it going to happen? What do we learn from history here? What do we learn about um, how all of a sudden this caused caused a downfall for him? Now, I want to, these last few verses are very important. And I want to, I want to make sure we go through them very thoroughly. But I, and I think the next few verses also will relate with what I'm going to say now is that we see a whole laundry list. Here's all the people who are with you, you know, and then a whole, uh, just a very short comment about how everything was, was peaceful and, you know, ate and drank and were happy. And then we have a whole laundry list of all that they have and nobody was lacking. And you go through this whole list and I, you see a tendency with that, that we tend to do this in the church. And here's why I want to engage our listeners today is the reality that as a church, we can have a tendency to say that church is successful because it has a bigger building or that church is successful because it never, it never has any debt or that church is successful because it has this many confirmands versus your confirmands or not, not even verses. You just, I mean, right here, he's not saying we have 12,000 horsemen and Assyrians only have nine or something. It doesn't do mm-hmm. that. But we, we tend to, we do the comparison game. But you look at that whole list and say, now this makes it look like we are a good kingdom. This is what makes it look like we are a good church. And there's a, there's a, there's a problem with that too. And we think that, you know, if we're paying all of our bills on time, then therefore we're a good church. And therefore we have financial struggles and we're no longer a good church. And you lose sight, as we've been talking about, so, and you've brought this up so well here today, Pastor, is where is, quote, God in the midst of all of this? And I think that's a major thing that we have a problem still today. Any thoughts about that for the church? Oh, absolutely. Uh, if you do like a concordance study and look up just the name Solomon, and then you see Jesus referring to Solomon a few times. So he talks about like the queen of the South will rise up against you because she came to learn from his wisdom. And here's something greater than Solomon is here, yet you're not paying attention to me. But then <laughs> the verse most of us remember is about considering the lilies of the field, as we put it. Look, Solomon, in all his splendor, wasn't dressed like one of these. Well, what's the context of that? Don't worry about things. Now, there's a difference between worry and concern, obviously. Um, so Jesus is not saying, don't be concerned in that you don't make wise decisions. Oh, God will just take care of everything, and you don't think about anything or whatever. No, he gives us wisdom, as Solomon prayed for. But... What you were talking about, it's so easy for us to look at possessions or lack thereof. And when all is said and done, those are the things we put our confidence in, as opposed to the Lord who will take care of us. And not even Solomon in all of his splendor. So in other words, he had this great kingdom. He had this tremendous wealth. There was peace, prosperity. Everyone's doing well. Jesus says, you know, your Heavenly Father offers you even better than that. Mm. Mm. Yes, absolutely. That's a great way of putting it, putting it back on. Well, it goes back to where is your faith? 
Is there faith in the stuff? Um, no, nobody is lacking, or is there faith, once again, in the Lord? So we have about 10 minutes left here, Pastor, and I want to get through these last four verses, or these last verses. And there's a lot of good insights in this, and especially for us as Christians in today's world. 29 through 34. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, and breath of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all people of the east and all wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan, the Ezraite, and Haman, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol. And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of the trees, from the cedar that is in Lebanon, to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts, and of birds, and of reptiles, and fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. It begins in verse 29, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding. That's an important piece there of understanding the rest of the verses. What is, uh, what is, what is the writer telling us here? This is God's world. And when he talks about it, it's interesting. He doesn't talk about Solomon having this great theological wisdom and leaving mm. it at just, he understood everything there was to understand about Moses. Um, but he talks about the world as a whole in a lot of different ways. So the, the earth is the Lord's and all therein. And at least for me personally, I, I could be totally wrong in this, but sometimes it seems like there is such uh, an emphasis in some quarters of trying to say that, you know, the church is, you know, anti-science or whatever it would be. And uh, boy, I love being able to show people this section, say, hey, look at the wisdom that God gave Solomon hmm. and what this wisdom was used for, to explore, to look at the world as God's world and try to understand it better. I mean, you think about like uh, the scientists who are working um, for a vaccine and the like and being able to see how everything goes together, how different things react, how our body is designed to fight certain things and the like, the order to it. And then just having this inquisitive spirit. And and we see this in Solomon, just this, and, and you know, back in the day when people were training to be pastors and teachers and that, we talk about a very good liberal arts education where you would have um, a good smattering of classes in different subjects. So you weren't so zoned in on one thing that you would miss the whole picture and you would have wisdom about, about everything. But as you said, Pastor Finnern, that first introductory line, and God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding. That's what he asked for. And the Lord gives it to him, but abundantly, more than he could have ever imagined. And notice then how people come. So he's kind of like the the living Google of the day, where people would come and <laughs> right. ask him about everything. What is it says here of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt? He's making a comparison clearly of would we say non-believers in Yahweh kind of uh, language, or how would how would you talk about that? Oh what yeah, your thoughts on that? 
No, I would I would definitely say that that's correct. That there's there's this comparison here, saying that this God who gave this wisdom, it is this gift is far superior to anything any other so-called gods would give their wise people. So it's kind of like back, you know, in in Egypt with the plagues, the first couple of plagues, the magicians could reproduce using Mm, their mm -hmm. arts, however you want to say that. And then you get to the next one. It's like, oh, we can't do this. This is from the hand of of God. And it it really seems actually in uh, Lutheran Our Ministries has has a great video series uh, called Stuff They Didn't Teach You in Sunday School. Yeah, and true. in the series, when you're going through the Old Testament, one of the points that continues to be made is God almost goes out of his way to kind of mock so-called other gods and to make them look just bad. So here we just simply see the Lord's wisdom, his gift, far superior to anything any other so-called God could give. But there is a key. It's a gift. And he's wiser than all the other men and goes down the list, which obviously means that these other men were pretty smart guys. Oh, yeah. um, as we talk about wisdom is not, uh, they talk about this in uh, the commentary, is wisdom is not knowing stuff, but it's it's having the patience to to understand how everything fits together. And here are these probably men that are seen to be wiser than anybody and all of a sudden Solomon goes the top of the top of the heap. I mean he's the top dog in all of this. Any thoughts on that? Well, you know, I, when we look back in history, so even in Luther's day, you had a guy like a Erasmus who was purportedly the last one who had all the knowledge in the world at that point. But all these people mm. were um theologians as well people who were using their gifts and abilities out of love for their Lord, trying to tie the universe um, together. And and so I think we could, in a way, say that what sets Yahweh apart is he is this God of creation, but a God who didn't just let creation go, a God who still interacts with his creation. And so in giving this gift of wisdom, yeah, Solomon goes to the top of the heap. It's not like there there isn't wisdom anywhere else. So it's important for us to understand too, as Christians, that doesn't mean that non-Christian people can't have wisdom or can't mm. understand certain truths. It's there. They can have morality too. You know, I was asking them the question, well, okay, what's the basis for this morality and that? But there is, you know, God will allow his wisdom, his truth to be in other places, but we see it fully in his people here. And we see it in Solomon, who was specifically had asked him for that. And it's, it's interesting, too, to think about how, obviously, people who are not Christian believers can know stuff, if I can say it that way, it's kind of crass, mm-hmm. but like you can go to your doctor, who is not a Christian, and be very, um, very comforted to know they know their information and that they will treat you with the best way that they can. Same with your pharmacist. Um, the same with your the one who makes your roads. Um, for our family, we have to have someone put up a new fence. You know, at the end of the day, I want someone who puts up a good fence. You know, if they, they have a Jesus fish there or not, I want them to put up a good fence. 
And so we give thanks for these individuals. And, and ultimately, we also want, um, we want, this is an opportunity to pray for these individuals as God has brought them to our lives. And I think this is, you know, part of that as well. The names are there reminding us, yes, he is greater than those, but ultimately the, the greatest of all of this comes down to faith and what the Lord has given to us. So from that, he speaks Proverbs, uh, words of wisdom. Uh, he sings songs. For whatever reason, it was five more than a thousand. You know, why not a thousand and one? I don't know. It's kind of a weird number, but um, all of that. But then we get to this last part. And Pastor, we have about four minutes left. He goes down the list of trees and the cedars and the beasts and the birds and the reptiles of fish. And as you said so wonderfully, that we as Christians are not against a science. God is a creator of science. He created all these things. And, and how do we live in that balance of, of knowing that, all came from God, but also engaging the scientific world in today's context. Well, I think right there, just going at it from the point of view that, you know, according to my frame of reference, there isn't a science world and there isn't a religious world. It's God's world. Okay. And so certain people are going to have the gifts and abilities to work through various things uh, not just using a scientific method, but then with the research and everything, really being able to to tie things together in a wonderful way and being able to celebrate that, just being able to say, oh man, what what a gift of God that he designed us with, with brains, with intellect. I mean, we look at, um, I always use the illustration, okay, you have some beavers out there making a beaver dam. Well, pretty well, you've seen one construction project among beavers. You've kind of seen it all. Mm-hmm. They're not going to really have some changes to the architecture there. We as humans, we kind of have that creative spirit there in the image of God. And so we're always trying to adapt and create things and and make things better. We're inquisitive. We're, we're constantly trying to see how it all, all ties together. And if our belief system truly is that we're created in the image of God and that he gave us kind of this creative spirit, man, we just we just give him glory. And we say, you know, and, and to me, I don't want this misunderstood because I believe the biblical account of creation in that, but you don't start getting into a big argument with people right away about, oh, was, you know, the world here for billions of years or was it a seven, six day of creation? Don't start there. Just start mm-hmm. with the wonder of there is this marvelous God of creation. There is this marvelous design who ties it all together. We see this with Solomon. And again, I, I love saying to our kids, look at all the stuff that this wisest person of all history knew about. Okay, Which means to you and me, it's worth studying this stuff. If mm-hmm. Solomon uh, spent his, his time using the gift of wisdom on this stuff, it's good for us to know this stuff too. And that's very important for you, our listeners, who have, you know, maybe kids or grandkids or great-grandkids who are in the schools and so forth. There's always an opportunity to be able to say words such as, look at the beauty of God's creation. 
look at look at this. This is why this is why dad or this is why grandpa or grandma uh, love doing X. I mean, look at all these differences and the beauty of this. And even looking at the beaver dam that you go to one beaver and you go across the country to another beaver and they built it the same. Well, who put this in there? Well, God did. And all of this comes together in realization of who God is, which is the creator and who brings order and to him be all the glory. Pastor, in about 30 seconds, how would you sum up this wonderful chapter of Scripture? We have order. We have wisdom. We have in the midst of it a reminder that God is the one behind all this gift. We see people very content in God's blessing, which God would have us be. But then through it all, then there is always the matter of Lord. As Luther would say at the end of the explanation of the first article, for all of this, it is my duty to thank, praise, serve, and obey him. This is most certainly true. Pastor Peter Schmidt of Beautiful Savior Lutheran Church in Waukesha, Wisconsin, given us God's strong word this morning. Pastor Schmidt, thank you for being our guest. Thanks, Pastor Finneran. Saints of our Lord, God gave wisdom to Solomon, and we pray for the same. No matter how many people in Christ are with us, it does not matter because true wisdom comes from knowing that all of it comes from God. To know Christ and to lean on his grace because it is Christ who is our sanctification, our redemption, our righteousness, and our wisdom. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.